Osiris. Hey folks, I am David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode, I guess this is episode 114 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish to get you to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. Nothing has changed. We still love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with fish fans is they can get a bit myopic. Fail to see the billions of other awesome rock and roll jams out there. I know as of late, I myself have been a bit of this victim of myopia, given that there's already been a whole lot of fish to listen to in 2022. But that's okay. I'm trying to bust myself out of that pool and get beyond the pond. Absolutely. The goal of this podcast, since its inception up until the current day, has been celebrate, love, dive deep into, analyze, enjoy, bathe in the music of fish, but then use that music to try to challenge yourself to figure out where else can I go musically and what other bands are there out there. And that is something we have made our mission since the spring of 2017 and is still Even in our breaks, even in our absence, that is the goal of this podcast to this day. And we have quite an interesting one jam for you today on this surprise drop. We're going to be talking about The Ghost from July 3rd, 1997, nearly 25 years ago, from the Serenadenhof in Nuremberg, Germany. And some of the themes that you're going to get in this episode include... Shameless flexing, the joys of knowing you've written the song, and our 2022 musical highlights. And on that note, let's get to the fish. All right, and with that, it is so good to be back in the rhythms of the Beyond the Pond life. Um, You may be asking yourself at this point in time, how did I get here? How did I get to episode 114? Because 113 was released in December of 2020, and I haven't heard these guys talk about fish or the war on drugs, drink Mm. early or baseball, or whatever it is that this podcast used to talk about in almost a year and a half, over a year and a half at this point, over 18 months at this point in time. I heard these guys on another podcast, but this, this was always the podcast. This was always the format I wanted to hear these guys in. So, Dave, what are we doing here? Well, we enjoyed the drop. I don't think the fan base enjoyed the drop quite as much as we did, but we've always kind of wanted to, uh, always thought about bringing back Beyond the Pond. Bands go on hiatuses all the time, as you very well know if you're listening to a Fish podcast. Think of this as kind of our uh, James Murphy, you know, we had our big Viking funeral and hugged it out and cried it out, and then we said, oh, just kidding. We uh, had the desire to go back and do it again, so this is a bit of a surprise drop. That being said, 
Yeah, when Chase when Chase Bank came to us and said we need to bring Beyond the Pond back, we need to do an exclusive show for right. Chase Bank users. We were like, hey, if Chase Bank is calling, I mean, come on, we've got to do yeah, this. Chase Bank cut us one of those like gigantic publishers clearinghouse style checks and brought it to my apartment, and I said, "Fuck yeah, I'm ready to sell out." <sighs> I'm recording this from my yacht. No, I'm actually in the. The hold of Brian's yacht. It's being recorded. <laughs> We're out, uh, out in international waters because there's no rules in international. This is now an episode of Succession right. as well. Uh, no, but seriously, we decided to bring this back, at least in this episode, because um, it seems to be what a lot of you peeps wanted, what the fan base wanted. But um, if you want to hear more Beyond the Pond, spread this far and wide. We're serious. Listen to it. Tell your friends to listen to it. Tell their friends' friends to listen to it. Because if there is still the demand, if there's still the pent-up want and the need, this is going to get plenty of downloads and listens. We'll do it again. Like right now, there's kind of no set schedule. We sort of kind of do it when the mood strikes. But uh, it's sort of up in the hands of the listener at this point. So, Or Deutsche Bank is next if deutsche bank comes to us even if nobody listens we'll still come fuck i'd sell it for td bank even though uh (laughs) even though like td bank sad association with uh the owners of your favorite baseball team (laughs) let's quickly before we dive into this version of ghost and this larger show and the themes around summer 1997 in europe we're not going to talk about summer 97 in america at this point in time We've done that on past episodes, but Dave, we are, as this episode is dropping, we are two days away from the launch of Fish's Summer 2022 Tour. As you mentioned in the intro, we've already had 16 Fish shows in 2022, which is pretty amazing. We had two four-night stands in Mexico and MSG, which you made your long-awaited return to fish at MSG, and then we had an eight-show run um, in the late spring of 2022. Quickly, what have been your thoughts on Fish's performances thus far in 2022? And give me one thing you're hoping for from this upcoming summer So 2022, to me, has been, so far, the year of B slash B+. Fish has played nothing bad. There hasn't been any single show I would consider to be offensive, nothing level, I don't know, Charleston Night 3 from 2019. There's been a lot of really good shows, a lot of B-plus shows, but at least to my mind, I think the closest thing they probably had to like a front-to-back solid show might have been, uh, I guess, Night 4 of the MSG run, which would be April 23rd of, uh, it'll be April 24, uh, I'm sorry, April 23rd of 2022. Very full first set, very full second set. Um, The fake New Year's Eve show also had some very solid front-to-back sets. But um, I'm kind of feeling with, um, it's funny, with the, I guess, spring tour, which I guess kicked off Memorial Day weekend? Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. With the first set they played, the opening night, which they played uh, in, in Orange Beach in Alabama, I thought that was a surprisingly complete show for opening night with a really good full second set. I thought, wow, this tour is going to be awesome. If they're already thinking full shows top to bottom on night one. But interestingly, the rest of the tour, they kind of, um, or at the least, Trey would seem sort of reverted to some of the issues we had with 2019 being somewhat lackadaisical fourth quarters. And that... um, they would always, the third quarter of almost every night was a guaranteed solid, you know, kind of like 18 to 25 minute jam segment. And then once they got through that, they kind of went an autopilot, kind of just like to do in this silly, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, Golgi Susie chalked us five minute song race to the finish line thing. And that's, you know, you know, you know us, we kind of like the big five song, six song, second set, each song leads to the next one, kind of like thinking one step ahead like a chess match and i'm kind of hoping to see more of that on summer because you got got what they're playing like almost like 30 shows this summer 28 30 yeah it's gonna be an extensive summer tour um i'm pretty much on the same page with you. i feel like the only the only thing i would add to what your thoughts were are i think in a lot of cases and I w- i've been wondering this in the last couple of weeks 
if this if the jams of the shows that they're playing that they've played thus far in 2022 were the jams and the shows that they had played in 2021 I think we would have celebrated them just the same as we celebrated the shows in 2021. I think the challenge that is being faced, if you will, by the fan base is that they haven't evolved that much. A lot of these jams sound very similar to me to 2021 jams. And I guess show structure, there was a bit more surprises throughout 2021, especially in the fall. You know, it's just... It's always a challenge when they play a tour as high quality as the fall tour last year. I I think that that was one of the strongest tours the band has ever played. I think it is the best tour that the band has played since summer 2003. Um, A lot of hyperboles, a lot of superlatives around that tour. And it's always hard to then come back and hear the band changing or hear the band approaching things in a similar way because that was a moment in time. And so I think that that's really the only major criticism I could make on this year. And it really isn't even that much of a criticism is just like they hit such a high last year. Where do they go from now without right, taking it's like, the change? And whereas it's like going from 97 to 98, 2015 to 2016. Right. But to that comparison, like I think this is more of a 97 to 98 transition rather than 2015 to 2016, which was so jarring. They changed so much in 2016, and it really didn't appeal to the larger fan base. And I think to the band, there was such a stark change by the end of the year that they were kind of on the same page. But this feels more like 97 to 98 to me, where like 97 was this outlandish, crazy, uh, transformative year. And then they evolve subtly into more ambient textures and more minimalism. Um, And I feel like that's where we are right now. But quickly, before we jump into 97, um, which provides a pretty good pivot point there, what is one thing you're hoping for from this summer? If there's anything, be it a song, be it a show being amazing, what what are you hoping for? I'm hoping to see Mercury because I haven't seen it yet. So wow, yeah, I'm I seeing. I have right now five shows lined up for this summer. I'm going to be at the second night of Great Woods, second night of Man, um, both nights of Bethel and Hartford. All of this is health dependent, of course. Um, so that's yeah, that's what I want to see. But I would like to see, I would like to see better fourth quarters, and I'm really hoping from the jump that they have no ideas of even going no repeats for even like six or seven days at a time just like <laughs> don't don't do it because the eight show run it some of the song selections in the first sets got so random you figured they were going no repeats until i think like the last two shows they started to do some repeats but it's okay to have a, a rotation like i don't need to be in the first set here and like oh I forgot they had this one. Okay. All right. This one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Dog mm-hmm. stole things. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. What do you got? Like, so play what you want to play, but don't go no repeats because it requires too much thought and kind of results in some weird choppy, almost B-sides sounding sets. I get that. I, I agree with all that. Um, I think my simplest thing is I just want 25 to 35 minute long jams. I know that in certain eras that was too much to ask. At this point in Fish history, the band is really thriving when they cross the 20, 25 minute mark and the sand from night three at Deer Creek is about as good of a, uh, as, as good of an example of where the band goes when they push a jam out as far as possible. So that's my, that's just, that's the littlest thing I'm hoping for is just more 25 to 35 minute jams. And that's maybe the best version of the sand ever. So probably, probably, um, Well, let's dive back 25 years in time, almost to the day of recording, um, to talk about this ghost from Nuremberg, Germany. Probably the second most famous thing to happen in Nuremberg, Germany. Mm. Um, Tell me, Dave, why are we talking about this ghost here? Well... It clocks in at around 29 minutes and 43 seconds, which makes it the second longest version of Ghost ever, only a few minutes shorter than uh, the epic 2003 version from Limestone from It, which still remains the longest version to date. And yet, compared to that version, as well as uh, the epic half-hour version from Radio City Music Hall, 
No one really talks about this one too much, and we're not entirely sure as to why. So, if you don't count the versions from um, Brad Sands and Pete Carini's house, this is only the eighth version of Ghost, and it's already over up a half hour. And we think that the reason from this comes from two separate sources. So, obviously, number one, being that this took place in July of 1997, fish were cow funk superheroes that were more or less capable of doing anything. There were no limits to what they could fucking do in July of 1997. And the second being the realization that they've written one of those songs that will just anchor their shows for years to come and they're not going to wait to use it to make these big impact statements. They had with Ghost, they had the like Eureka moment and they're not going to deny it. Yeah, you know, one thing that we've considered in planning for this episode is, has there been any fish song written in the past 25 years that is just such an instant portal to a jam exploration space as Ghost? I have it there with songs like Tweezer, Mike's Song, Down With Disease, as well as later day modern songs like Light and Everything's Right. These are songs that are not compositionally challenging they mainly exist to give you a dash of songwriting and then an opportunity to jump into a jam i would argue ghost is there closer with everything's right and down with disease in terms of being like a complete song a complete picture and then jumping off into a jam but i think that like these six songs really exemplify fish writing a song that is there for a jamming purpose. And it seems like Fish is aware of this. It has never left the rotation. On average, it gets played once every four shows. Even as they move beyond the cow funk era, even as the song evolved into kind of a spacey uh, jam in 1998 and 1999, and then more of a rock groove in 2.0 and 3.0, it's never left. It's never had a show gap larger than 13. And one time... The one time that it had a show gap larger than 13 was due to the no repeats nature of the Baker's Dozen shows to begin with. I think it's twice. It's wild because... I think it's actually twice, but one time, yes, was because of it. It's wild to think there was a sign, I think it was a sheet that someone hung from the rafters of the Thomas and Mack Center on 2-15-2003 that said something like 850 plus days since the last ghost. <laughs> it was not show-based because the song had been played in late uh, 1.0 during that last week. I think the last performance of 1.0 was 9-27-2000 in uh, Fiddler's Green, Colorado. Um, but it was this like dramatic like 800 plus days since the last ghost which really showcases how much the fan base loves this. And that night, of course... Fish played an excellent version of Ghost. And in other words, if you follow the band enough, sooner or later, you're going to get a Ghost. It took me, I think, seven shows, six shows, to get my first Ghost, which felt interminable. And then I finally got it, and I felt like, ah, now all I need to see is Divided Sky. And that took me another five years. But, you know, it's uh, it's one of those songs that is just going to follow you constantly when you go see Fish. I think my first Ghost would have had to have been The Great Win. Yeah, I think they played it in like the first set of the first night at the Great Went, and the second one I think would have been November 28th, 1997, which is simply stated one of my favorite versions of the song ever. But as for the July 3rd version from 1997, I mean, this smacks of the earned arrogance and kind of covers every base that Fish would be expected to at the time of July 97, because in this goes. You kind of start off, you got your like straight-ahead rock and roll, which veers into a puddle of spooky ambience with sort of like some ghostly like guitar scratching. And then it kind of goes into like a bluegrass jam that's basically riff without actually being a riff. It's got like the riff, the galloping drum beat, more confident rock and roll, and then it kind of finally ends with yet a sticky cow funk jam with the band sort of making fun of the ghost vocals by singing them in a falsetto. And it's, they've only played this eight times, and they're already kind of poking fun at the song, which is what you do when you have like the confidence that you can you know, just rock out like this with this song. So this is uh, the portion of Beyond the Pond where we ask you to take out a pen and pencil, 
because we're going to tell you briefly some of uh, the best versions of Ghost. So write it down, because we're only saying it once, unless you want to go back and listen to it again. So. <laughs> yeah, we would put this on a list of the best versions of Ghost. It is wild, as Dave said earlier, that not many people talk about this jam. And um, part of the reason, we'll get into this here in a second, but... Um, Two days earlier, they played one of the best versions of Ghost on 7197. And jumping ahead, we had great versions on 72397 from Atlanta. Both of those shows, uh, as well as the next two I'm going to list, oh my goodness, are officially released so you can hear them in soundboard quality. Uh, 111797 from Denver. Some people would call that the greatest version of Ghost ever. 7698 from Prague. Absolute fire, fire from Trey. Uh, 81698 from the Lemon Wheel. One of my favorite riffs that Trey has ever come up with in a jam segment. Absolutely gorgeous stuff. Uh, 91299 from Portland, Oregon. 121199 from Philadelphia, PA. Slow. And rounding out, slow, very spacey, Smoky. really cool ending to that. Uh, and then rounding out. 1.0, uh, 522, 2000 from Radio City. We talked about that back in 2020 um, with Bob Kerr. And uh, 615, 2000, another underrated version from Osaka coming one night after the Fukuoka show. Um, what do we have in 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0, Dave? So from 2.0, the one we've got is the one I mentioned, the uh, epic August 3rd, 2003 version from IT. Going into 3.0 course november 28 2009 from albany seven below into ghost crazy epic one of those shows that everyone started to think oh they've still got it and we've got july 20th 2014 from chicago northerly island uh december 30th 2016 from new york city that was the wheel inflected version october 23rd 2018 from nashville more recently, uh, Halloween 21 from Vegas. And the most recently, um, April 21st, 2022 from New York City. That was uh, night two of fake New Year's that closed out the first set. That is um, in addition to, you can hear that in Live Fish. You can also watch that on YouTube because that was an official uh, Live Fish video release. Epic, epic. Really, really good version that like takes the idea of a like peaking ghost jam and just stretches it out in such a cool way so those are our favorite versions we would call those the best versions of ghost is there anything that we got wrong hit us up on twitter you know where to find us at underscore beyond the pond tell us what we got wrong tell us why we are wrong we are always here for a hearty debate but before we get into debates we should probably talk about the significance of this show, 7397, as well as the larger run that the band was on in July of 1997. What to you makes this show significant, Dave? So, aside from the Piper, which opened the show in Ghost, this show is actually uh, much less of a showcase for their new material than prior shows on this tour. In fact, it had six songs from Billy Breeds. Um, of those songs, the taste is actually, um, that's a jam chart version. It's a very shreddy, very wah-inflected version. And also, there's a cavern that they play at this show that, although it isn't part of the jam chart, has like an extra 45 seconds or so of uh, wah-wah funk, which, while not being a full-on cow funk jam like the June 14th, 1997 version on this tour, or even the uh, classic version from the Island tour, um, if they put 45 seconds of wah funk into cavern today, it would send the fan base into hysterics. So, believe that this is the only time Fish has ever appeared at the Sarnadenhof in Nuremberg, Germany, which, uh, if the internet is to be believed, actually consists of the indoor home of the Nuremberg Symphony Orchestra, but the concert component is outdoors, lots of plants, has lots of shrubbery, and uh, large yellow canvas flags overhead looks very pleasant. I think there's even a part of the show where Trace is like, we're playing inside of a plant. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful setting. They, they'd played in Nuremberg twice prior, but both opening gigs for Santana, once at the Forum and once at uh, 
Rezi in Nuremberg back in 1992 on their first European tour. I, I believe that that was actually an opening show for the uh, Violent Femmes. Yeah, it's actually, um, in doing some research on the venue, they still they host shows. Uh, often, I mean, some of the shows aren't that exciting, but if you like the Robert Cray Band, they're uh, playing there in a few weeks. And if you're dying to see Chris DeBerg sing Lady in Red in Germany... Get your ass to the Serenadenhof on July 22nd, 2022, because it's going down. Germans love Christa Berg. And uh, just as a side note, I mean, Brian, are you familiar with any of Christa Berg's work other than Lady in Red? No. He's like... <laughs> shit's kind of mental. He's like a prog rock Harriet Chapin. I mean, I don't think there's any artist in rock history that has been so misrepresented by their hit single than, like, Christa Berg. Like, he's got this... The big single from 82 is called Don't Pay the Ferryman. Like, I think, you know, he's talking about, like, you know, going, like, like the River Styx, giving Opal to Charon. Just like, don't pay the ferryman! It's a good discussion for, like, another episode, but if you guys want to be freaked out, uh, go look up some fucking Christaberg and be like, holy shit. Anyway. His career is a good example of why you should sell out with one single and then make the remainder of your career about artistic exactly. uh, exploration he, and just he could pay down. off every mortgage and every home imaginable with Lady in Red, which freed him up to make some wacky prog rock story songs. I kind of feel like, and, and we were talking about this, this show, this jam, it gets overshadowed by the Wormtown Swingtown jam from the two nights prior in Amsterdam. Anyone who's ever traveled Europe, anyone who's ever backpacked Europe, knows that there's a vibe of Amsterdam. It's uncanny. It's very stereotypical at this point in time, but I will say Amsterdam is one of the best cities in Europe. When I arrived there for the first time, I was like, yeah, I get it. There's the coffee shops. There's all the international weed vibe. But it's actually a really beautiful city. It's, it's, it's gorgeous at night. There's amazing museums. There's incredible parks. And anywhere you go after Amsterdam, no matter where it is, kind of takes a step back. It takes you a few days to readjust to, oh, yeah, I'm in Europe. And every place in Europe is amazing. Because you were just in Amsterdam. So I get it. You can't blame the fans or the band for being a tad burnt out after two nights in Amsterdam in 1997. And, and, you know, 25 years earlier, weed's not legal in America. So people are traveling to Amsterdam. And it's a destination in a lot of cases. Um, I've got to imagine, though, this jam, it's so mellow. It's so spaced out. Maybe, you know... Who knows? Maybe it was a crew member. Maybe it was a tour manager. Maybe it was one of the band members themselves. There had to be some space cakes that were stashed along for the bus ride into Nuremberg. And as for significance of this overall tour, you get an introduction via this show to songs that would become set tent poles for years to come. And it's really a wild aspect of this overall tour. So many songs that will become these songs that we're still hearing today. They're still, like, the cornerstones of sets are being played for, like, four to six minutes. You've got Piper, Ghost, as we've talked about, Limb by Limb, Twist, Dirt, as a great breather. All of these are still played. All of these are still great. Yeah. All these songs came to being on this tour, and you know them, you love them, and it really is one of the most significant fish song jobs in their history. So, let's listen to a little bit of segment of The Ghost from July 3rd, 1997 from Nuremberg, Germany.
Alright, you drifting off into space, are you, are you wondering, is Fish going to really go into Rift out of this jam? I, I kind of am okay with it. I'm kind of okay with whatever they're doing, because this musical space that they found just blew me away. This band on stage, they're just flexing. Like, it's not like, they're like, it's like they're not even trying. It's like all that they're doing is just like, you could say that this band on stage, it's, it's like that scene in Arnold's Pumping Iron where Arnold's like, I get to that last set and it's like, I'm coming. And then girls see my muscles and I'm coming all night. You know, it's exactly like that. That is fish in Europe in 1997. I wish someone had said that. Yeah, I wish someone had, had said that. Maybe someone... It, it feels like the right reference point at this point. It's just pure flexing. Mm. It's, it's just like adrenaline is pumping through this band. And there's absolutely nothing that can stop them. And it's like they're not even trying. And so for us, as we're considering this jam, as we're considering this band at this place in history, we wanted to look at a couple other artists that we thought reached a point in their career where they were just completely flexing. Where they were just like, I can do anything. You, you listener. You will follow me down this rabbit hole because you trust me, because you know that I am on fire right now. And seeing as this is the first Beyond the Pond episode in over 18 months, we didn't want to go super obscure, super crazy. We wanted to give you two artists that we love, that we know that you love, but that we know we all need to celebrate the music of Fish with. So we've got two artists here that we're going to talk about how each of them were flexing at a peak in their career. David, why don't you go first with what you've got? I'm actually going to talk about a recent album, which came out in 2022. I want to say April of 2022. This is a band I've talked about before on Beyond the Pond. One of my favorite bands of all time. I have tickets to see them on my birthday on September 24th to the Beacon this year. The band is spiritualized. The album is called Everything Was Beautiful. And the song, it's the second song on the record we're going to play for you called The Best Thing You Never Had. So, Spiritualize, as I've said before, is the basically the gnome de rock of one Jason Pierce, a.k.a. J. Spaceman, specializing in making 
big orchestral space rock. It's like you're up on the space station looking down at all the rock and roll as you drift off into your Major Tom fantasies. He's been doing this for 30 years. I mean, the first spiritualized album, Laser Guided Melodies, came out in 1992. And, of course, before that, he was a member of uh, the epic group Spaceman 3 with uh, Sonic Boom. So, 30 years after Laser Guided Melodies, he puts out this record, Everything Was Beautiful. And it's awesome. There is absolutely no reason for a spiritualized record to be this good 30 years after their first album. And this just... The amount of instruments that are on this record, the quality of the songwriting and choruses on this record, the cacophony, the layers of noise that he piles on, and basically does everything himself. I know he plays many, many of the instruments, and he just brings in orchestral ringers and does all the arrangements, and it's probably, it's going to easily be in my top five favorite albums of, of 2022, and he's at the point where he can kind of do this in his sleep. And it actually didn't come out much longer than the last spiritualized album uh, being called And Nothing Hurt. Of course, being uh, the big Kurt Vonnegut reference, uh, Everything is Beautiful and Nothing Hurt. Um, That was a great record, which came out, I think, in 2018. This one's even better. I'm going to go as far to say this is the best spiritualized album since 1997's indefatigable classic epic, Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space. So, if you like the band Fish, you like epicness, you like noise, you like jams, you like things that will take you out of your seat and into the next generation, into the stratosphere, then you really should check out this new Spiritualized album, because it is the purest flex. We're going to listen to a little bit of the second song, Best Thing You Never Had, which has one of my favorite trombone solos on a record. Maybe I'll play a bit of that. It's one of the best albums of 2022 thus far, which is something we're going to talk about here in our next segment. I absolutely love that spiritualized record. And um, I have this podcast to really thank for my love for spiritualized. I listened to spiritualized in 2012. What was the album that came out in 2012? You may have just said Uh, sweetheart, sweet light. Good record. Sweetheart, sweet light. I love the record. I was like, this is how I've never heard of this band. Um, but you know, as I'm sure so many listeners out there have experienced, you hear a really great album. You hear a lot of great albums over time. You have a lot of fish shows to get through, a lot of dead shows to get through. Now we have goose shows that we have to get through pretty soon. We're going to have eggy shows that we have to get through. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Next in line. Next in line. You got, they, you know, time escaping cover. Look it up. All right. Everybody out there, Eggy, time escaping, look it up. But I'm going off the rails here. My point is there's so many good records that you get, and it's hard sometimes to dive into the context of a larger band because we have time, we have, we have limited time, we have jobs, we have kids, we have puppies, we have all these things that we have to deal with. And it was through this podcast that Dave really pushed Spiritualized on me. And so it's a good, it's a fitting moment here to have Spiritualized be brought up here in this first episode. If you get nothing else from beyond the pond, know that Spiritualized is good for you. Very good for you. It's very necessary. Um, I want to talk about another artist that has similarly been discussed and was a huge initial part of Beyond the Pond. And that is Mr. Miles Davis. 
at the risk of being too hyperbolic, which I don't think is possible, but at the risk of it, I would just say I think that Miles Davis is easily one of the five to ten most important artists of the last 60 years at this point in time. He's there with Dylan. He's there with Hendrix. Um, he's there with Neil Young. Cosine. He's there with Coltrane. He's just... The the amount that you can learn and the amount that you can explore and the amount that you can live in this man's catalog is insane. And as we were thinking about the idea of Pure Flex, and I was thinking about two things. One, the second jam that we ever talked about in this podcast was the 1121-1997 Ace DC bag. And for that jam, David selected a track off of In a Silent Way, Miles Davis's record from 1969. And if you consider... Friend of the pod, Stephen Hyden's five album test. If you go from In a Silent Way to Bitches Brew to Jack Johnson to Live Evil to On the Corner, a three-year stretch with five albums that pass the test of five consistently great records that you can listen to all in a row and walk away being like, holy fuck, there was not like, there was not a second, there was not a track on that record that should not have been there. And I want to talk today about Miles Davis's record, A Tribute to Jack Johnson, which came out on February 24th, 1971. It was conceived by Davis for Bill Clinton's documentary of the same name on the life of the boxer, Jack Johnson. You've got two 25-plus minute long tracks. They were recorded on February 18th and April 7th, 1970 in New York City. Davis was really inspired, you know, at the time we're thinking that early 1970s, there's a lot of um, political upheaval in America. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of race relations issues. Um, there's a really horrible person in the White House. There's a elongated war that's happening that we had no business being in. Um, constitutional crises, uh, inflation. I mean, a lot of the stuff in a larger scale that we're dealing with right now in America was happening 50 years prior in the same sort of setting. Davis, as a result, he was inspired by the political and racial subtext of Johnson's saga, as well as fusing that with the hard rock, the funk sounds of his own era. So he's got John McLaughlin on guitar, uh, Sonny Sherrick, keyboardist Herbie Hancock, and Chick Corea. You've got Benny Maupin on clarinet, and Jack DeJonay and Billy Cobham on drums. It's an incredible lineup. It is a record that, while it did not perform incredibly well from a sales standpoint, it is one of the best records of Miles Davis's larger career. And it's one of those records, the initial, the first song off this record, right off, 26 minutes long, has been teased countless times by fish especially throughout 1997 and listening to this you just get immersed in the sonic zones the funk the hard rock the cacophonous drumming and and and, and soundscapes that come from this and miles's trumpet that is always ever present and pushing you further outwards bringing you back a little bit pushing you further out just challenging you on a regular basis it's absolutely fascinating stuff um i'm constantly blown away every time i listen to this record dave i know that this is a record that is close to your heart what are your thoughts on this isn't that also um it's funny. The first introduction I had to tribute to Jack Johnson was the first thing you hear when you put in disc one of uh, a live one, right? Yes, that is right. Yeah, that's the music that was that was playing uh, in the in, in Madison Square Garden before they came. Right. Um, I took that. I first heard that actually after that. I got that as a tape from the library. My uh, town library in Cheshire, Connecticut had a really excellent tape and CD collection. So I just remember getting that tape. I had a tiny boombox in the corner of my room, putting it in, sitting like, you know, my face like six inches from the boombox, just thinking, what the hell is this? And it sounds just as amazing as it did when I was 16 years old as it does now. Yeah, it's an amazing record, and um, it's very fitting for where Fish was at in summer of 1997. So we're going to play a bit of Right Off, off of Miles Davis's 1971 classic, a tribute to Jack Johnson, a pure, pure, pure flexing moment on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. 
right. So we've talked flexing. We've talked fish in 1997. We even talked fish in 2022. And that last part leads us into the last segment of our show today. One of the things that we always love to do on Beyond the Pond was share new music with you. We wanted to give you a bit of fish, a bit of music related to fish, but then always, always, always it was important for us to recommend new albums. And for this episode, we're not just going to recommend one new album. We're each going to recommend two albums that have been in our consistent rotation here in 2022. We're about the halfway mark of the year. I kind of have an idea at this point in time of what my top five looks like right now. I know for certain that this has been an incredibly strong year for music. Uh, we have a text thread, Dave, myself, our good buddy, Josh Carver, big friend of the podcast, big proponent of us sitting down and doing this recording again. Shout out to Josh. We're always saying this might be my number three favorite record of the year now. No, this is actually my number two favorite record of the year now. Oh wait, this is actually number five and everything kind of shifts and moves and ebbs and flows and it's a lot of fun. It's a really good discourse. So we wanted to share with you all two of our favorite records of the year. These are not necessarily our one and two. These are just records that we recommend you all check out because we recommend them and because we're digging them and they're in our ears constantly. Um, So Two records I want to share on the polar opposite spectrums of the musical landscape. But if you know anything about me, you'll know that these are records that really hit home for me. Uh, The first is the final record, in parentheses, for now, for the Japanese psych rock band Kikigaku Moyo. This album is called Kumoyo Island. This is, like I said, the final record as of this point in time, the fifth album for Kikigaku Moyo. They've announced an indefinite hiatus. I have tickets to see them in September. I'm so, 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 so excited to go and see them. They began playing as a band in 2012 as a duo, drummer and vocalist, in Japanese subway stops where they would just jam out for all the salarymen coming and going from work at that time. They've since grown. They've put out five records. They put out a phenomenal record in 2021 with our good friend Riley Walker. And they've decided to put an end to all of this. And they've recorded one final record that I absolutely love. You get aspects of Japanese folk. You get psych rock. You get just like the whole spectrum of what this band can do in one singular record. I absolutely love this. I have this on consistently. Um, it's been on so much that my wife keeps asking about it, which is always a really good sign when she's like, oh, you're listening to this a lot. I actually like this, and it's way out of her wheelhouse. So this has been something that's been on a ton throughout the spring and summer here in the Brinkman house. And um, I highly, highly recommend everyone out there to check that out. The other record I want to talk about is an album that uh, from an artist who's pretty new to me, but as I've read a lot about him, I've realized like, oh, actually, as with so many good artists, there's a lot of paths that are crossed with other artists I love. And that is Brian Jackson's record. This is Brian Jackson. This came out uh, in early June. Um, Brian Jackson uh, is a, he's he's been making records um, and making music for the last five decades. He connected with Gil Scott Heron back in the early 1970s. The two had a falling out in the early 80s. Gil Scott Heron went off into like the wilderness of addiction and crime and challenges in his own life. Um, Brian Jackson actually spent most of the 80s and 90s um, working in IT for the New York City's Administration of Children Services. Um, his day job kind of kept him going through that period in time. And throughout all that, he had music in his head. He and Gil Scott Heron reconnected in 2011, right before Gil Scott Heron's passing. And this record, this is Brian Jackson is his first solo album in over 20 years. And it's wild. It crosses the spectrum of jazz, soul, elements of hip hop, aspects of funk you got synthesizers guitars flutes just like thick thick keyboards it's really really wild stuff and it's something i've been listening to essentially on repeat since it came out in early june so 
So Kikigakamoyo's Kamoyo Island and Brian Jackson's This Is Brian Jackson are the two records I recommend. At this point in 2022, we're going to listen to a small sample of Kikigaku's F.A. and Brian Jackson's Force of Will. those songs i actually started listening to the brian jackson record last night and it's uh very good i have to listen to the kikigaku moyo album i'm sad that they're going on hiatus but that shouldn't keep me from listening to the record because that's a band i've liked quite a bit in the past so two records i'm going to talk about that i've enjoyed very much in 2022 first is from uh, an artist who goes by the name uh, of hatchy sort of not waxahatchy but just plain Hatchy, and the album is called Giving the World Away. So Hatchy is the nom de rock woman named um, Harriet Pillbeam. She's Australian, and she kind of harvests in a brand of very poppy shoegaze. I like to call it mall gaze because it kind of reminds me of like the really poppy songs from late 90s teen movie soundtrack was given like bathed in a shoegaze, shoegaze veneer, because you get all of like, you know, like the thick, heavy guitars and pedals and all the stuff that you associate with the genre, but very clean vocals, very catchy, very pop, kind of like a serious XMU sound. Like you could expect to hear on the radio next to something like Phoenix or M83 or, you know, she's kind of going for that like shiny commercial college rock sound. But the stuff is really catchy, it's really well produced, and I've been listening to the first two songs in this record like crazy. That's the only problem with the record, is that the first two songs are so good that you almost kind of like nothing else in the record quite compares, although there's a, there's a variety of good singles on it, and there's certainly things far worse than having your first two songs bang that hard. So, Hatchy giving the world away. The other album I'm going to talk about, more recent, is from a band called Horse Girl. Horse Girl consists of, I think, three women, I want to say, like, late teens, early 20s in Chicago. They're extremely young. And despite being extremely young, they have made a record that sounds uncannily like it came out in 1995. This album, it takes a whole lot from, like, Dinosaur Jr., Yola Tango, so much Yola Tango. Um, My Bloody Valentine, even. It came out on Matador, and they recorded it with uh, the producer John Agnello at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio Studios in Chicago. It sounds so much like 1995 that it's almost, you could imagine if someone told me this was like something that was like going to be released by a record label, then got dropped at the last minute, and then got dug up for reissue by the, the like, Numero group. I would have believed you. It sounds that much like a 1995 guitar album. But given that I'm a 42-year-old male and Yola Tango's one of my favorite bands, I love this. I mean, I have no problem with the 90s revival, no problem with like these girls in their early 20s trying to sound like Georgia Hubley and Ira Kaplan. Like Some of the songs, like uh, the one I'm going to play, in fact, 
are like dead ringers or something, that would be on the middle of a record like uh, Painful or Electra Pura. But it's great. The songwriting is great, interesting lyrics and vocals, and if they want to mine a sound that I love, I'm totally happy with that. You know, it's one of those albums that's like so much your shit, you're almost like suspicious of it. So, but I'm going to play a little bit of the song Lights On by Hatchie, and then fade it into the song Option 8 by Horse Girl. said like i haven't held out all rights a lot in the last eight feels months. good it feels don't really it really good and really natural to to just like transition back into a conversation with that um thank you everyone out there for hanging with us here today we hope that you enjoyed this return the surprise return of the beyond the pond podcast i had fun i think dave had, fun. I had a lot of fun i hope dave had, I fun. had so much fun you had so much fun. If you guys had fun, there's a couple things that we need you guys to do so that we can keep this thing going. Um, please, please, please give us an iTunes review. Say, hey, we're so glad this podcast is back. Five stars, quick little review. That would be very, very helpful. Share this far and wide on socials. We'd love to keep doing this. We just want to make sure that, uh, you know, there's, we want to make sure that uh, we're, we're not just like yelling out into the void right now. Um, what I will say as well, I want to give you all a recap here of the songs that we played. So we talked today about the ghost from Nuremberg, Germany on 7397. We had two segments of music for you. First was Pure Flexing. I played Miles Davis's Right Off, off of a tribute to Jack Johnson. Dave played Spiritualized, Best Thing You Never Had, off of Everything Was Beautiful. And then in our 2022 album, Rex, we gave you a double dose. Kikigakumoyo's Kumoyo Island, we played F.A. Brian Jackson's This Is Brian Jackson, we played Force of Will. And then Hatchie, Giving the World Away, we played Lights On and Horse Girl, visions of modern performance we played option eight check out all of those on our potentially defunct spotify beyond the pond podcast songs playlist it may still exist i don't know i haven't been on spotify since neil young told me to get to apple music (laughs) 
<laughs> which I live on Apple Music now. It's got better sound quality, and I like the interface better, and I can follow friends easier and see what they're listening to. They can see what I'm listening to. So the Beyond the Pond podcast songs playlist, we will share this on our Twitter feed. It's on Apple Music for sure. If it's on Spotify, check it out there. But hey, we'd encourage you all to do like we did and follow Neil Young over to Apple Music. Better pricing, better sound. I don't know if it's better ethics, but you know, it is what it is. Um, You can also find us on social media. We will, sometime around this episode coming back, revive the Beyond the Pond Twitter handle, at underscore Beyond the Pond. And I'll ask you all listeners out there, whoever's hanging with us still, do you want to hear us? Do you want to have us live recap the Fish Summer Tour from the Beyond the Pond Twitter handle? We used to do that. Every show, it got controversial at times. Some of you didn't like our opinions. Some of you don't like opinions about fourth quarters. I get it. I get it. Saratoga I understand. 2019. You don't want someone raining on your parade. Scandalous. Saratoga 2019. Whew. We got, we got mm. lit up. But you know what? It was fun. It was great. And you know what else? You know what else, yeah. Dave? We were right. I don't know any of you who talk about the Saratoga 2019 fourth quarter like it was some great thing. No, that's kind of... But follow us there. That's faded into the ether. Faded into the ether. Nobody defends that with good reason. With good reason. Follow us there at underscore beyond the pond. If you want us to recap the summer tour via that handle, just go ahead and say it on social media. We'll we'll follow suit. Um, you can also find us along with many other excellent podcasts at OsirisPod.com. We are a founding member of the Osiris of Osiris Media. Um, two quick points of note. We've announced on Osiris Media two incredible live events with one that should be announced here pretty soon. Um, But the two that I want to highlight, the Ardmore on Monday, July 18th, right before the Man Show. We've got an incredible, incredible backing band. Features Ryan Jewell and Andy Cush, two members of the larger indie jam world that Dave and I hold very near and dear to our hearts. We also have um, Tom Hamilton, Daniel Donato, and Chris Forsyth playing guitar with the backing band. It should be an incredible evening. And then we just announced Denver's Osiris Live event. The next greatest jam band, the torch is going to be passed on August 31st at the Larimer Lounge to Taper's Choice. You can buy tickets Check out the Osiris Media Twitter handle. There's links for tickets for the Denver show, um, as well as on uh, as well as for the Ardmer show. So check those out. And like I said earlier, please go ahead and leave us an iTunes review. Tell us what your thoughts were on this episode. We would love to hear it. We enjoyed reading those, and it definitely helps us from an algorithmic standpoint. Did I miss anything, Dave? No, I think that's everything. And uh, I will say, Taper's Choice. We love Taper's Choice. That's like. Ever want to hear like Dave Harrington shred and jam band format? Oh, it feels so good. Those guys are great. Um, I think I'm going to be in Vermont with my family during that show, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd try to fly out and see that and see dicks. And uh, also the upcoming Ardmore show. I mean, you know how we feel about Ryan Jewell. We love the guy. We've had him on before. Andy Cush, bass player and Garcia people. Still one of our favorite bands. And obviously, Daniel Donato. Tom Hamilton and Chris Forsyth. That's some shreddy shred action. So that will be great. Um, No, all I really have to say is, as you've said, if you want more of these Beyond the Pond episodes, tell your friends, have those friends tell their friends. Give us a shout out on Twitter. Seriously, shout this shit from the rooftops and then we will be able to do more. We'll be able to have episodes, the eventual Chris DeBerg deep dive discography episode that will uh, totally tear the house down. Maybe we can do that in the future. But thanks for hanging with us. This was good. This is cathartic. It really felt good to get back to our roots here. And uh, hopefully we will get to see you in the future. We can hold hands. We can do kumbaya. We can fight fish myopia. And go beyond the
Osiris. <laughs> <laughs>